Welcome to Hebrew Bible Insights, a podcast about making sense of the Hebrew Bible. We engage in the study of the Hebrew Bible in its ancient Near Eastern context and original languages to promote good and reasonable interpretation of Scripture so that the church might live more faithfully in the present. Welcome to Hebrew Bible Insights, a podcast about making sense of the Hebrew Bible. I'm Matthew Delaney. I'm here with Dr. Nathan French. And today we are recording the episode that will be the first one to release in 2024. This is going to be a fun episode. We're talking about the idea of vision in the Hebrew Bible. January is a time where many people, if at least if you're like me, you like looking ahead to the future and thinking about plans goals? What do you want to achieve reflecting on last year? But what does the Hebrew Bible have to say about the idea of vision? There are a couple of verses in the Hebrew Bible that are really popular to quote around this time of year or around uh, business or leadership type conferences and books that want to reference the Hebrew Bible. And one of those verses that's used a lot is in the book of Proverbs chapter 29. But on the Hebrew Bible Insights podcast, our goal is to understand what's going on with scripture in its ancient Near Eastern context, not how do we like to just pick verses and think, oh, I I think this verse must be about fill in the blank thing. Let me go ahead, copy and paste it and use it as I will. We want to respect the text in its historical context and see what is it really getting at. So I'm really excited for us to talk about that today, whether or not you care about New Year's resolutions or not. We're (laughs) going to talk about a really important principle in the Hebrew Bible, and today we're going to look at one of the really popular verses. So, uh, Nathan, you have any thoughts before we dive in? Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Yes. <laughs> so, let's talk about vision. Okay, so let's start by diving into the verse we're looking at today, which is Proverbs 29, 18. And the most common translation that I at least have heard growing up, and you'll see all over the place, is where there's no vision, the people perish. And one of the contexts you'll see this quite often in by people who want to use this verse in teaching will be in the leadership, uh, business, communication setting. The idea that it's really important that you have a vision statement as a company or as an organization or as an individual. You need to choose what is it that you're really going after? What do you want your company to achieve? Or as an individual, where are you really trying to go? And you can read books, listen to podcasts and have really deep discussions about evaluating your life and figuring out where do we want to go and how do we craft the perfect vision statement, something that's really short, concise, packageable, memorable, uh, and will help you and your team to know this is what we're trying to do. This is what we want to accomplish. And then from there, you can get into the difference between a vision and a mission statement and core values, and the list goes on and on. But the teaching is often hey, where there's no vision, the people perish. So make sure you select a vision. Mm. But is that really what's going on here in the ancient Near Eastern context? And as we talk about all the time, if we want to interpret the text holistically and responsibly, then we need to first keep in mind the, the initial layers of the hermeneutical process where we have the locution, the text itself, the illocution, right? That intended meaning there in that historical context, and then the layers of perlocution of how it can have its, you know, deeper layer interpretations. Excellent. So let's do this. Let's look at a few different types of translations that you will see. There are a lot. 
Um, so one of the most common ones you'll see is where there's no vision, the people perish. We're just going to focus on the first half of the verse for now, because that's where we're, where we're really studying. Where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. I don't know if we're going to get into the whole people perish, people cast off restraint part of this verse. Um, I might do a separate Hebrew insight, Hebrew language insights video on this verse. Um, and the Hebrew on that, on that second half of the first line is pretty tricky, uh, but there's some fun connections we can dive into. What you'll notice though, as I scroll through here, people on our YouTube audience, you can just see as I scroll through, there's a lot of vision, 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 vision. That's the most common translation. But what you'll also see is a different one pops up here with the CSB. Without revelation, mm. people run wild. Mm. Another one without a prophetic vision, mm. without guidance from God. When prophecy shall fail, um, so we start seeing there's a mixture of different translations. Vision is probably the most common, but we see others like prophetic vision. That's mm -hmm. the other one that comes up quite a bit. So if any of you want to do this, you can go to a place like Bible Gateway or wherever you want. Just pull up Proverbs 29, 18, see all the different translations, not just for the word vision, but the whole verse. And I think you might have some fun thinking through why are there so many different translations? Um, all right, Dr. French, do you have any thoughts so far as we're just kind of just dipping our toe into this, this discussion? Well, as we've already seen a lot on Hebrew Bible insights, we, um, we like to bring out, uh, the fact that when you are reading somebody else's translation, they are already doing some interpretation for you. And so it's yep. important to know what's going on behind interpretation. Or, I'm sorry, behind translations, because interpretation uh, is happening in translation. Uh, that is rule number one in exegesis, is that the moment that you start doing exegesis, you need to know in yourself you're already doing interpretation on some level. Um, yep. and, we, and we see that here. What's so interesting in, in my in 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 reading the second half of the verse, actually, mm. uh, which we're not going to go into, but reading it in Hebrew, I can't help but to think of, for example, Psalm one or some of the other psalms that sort of have uh, a very interesting push towards keeping Torah, and that that brings blessedness or happiness. Ashrei Ha'ish yeah. in Psalm 1, yep. for example. Uh, we have something similar here. So that already invokes quite a large swath of the Hebrew Bible and the meaning that is contained in a short phrase like Veshomer Torah yeah. Ashrehu. Um, you know, but or and happy is the one mm -hmm. who keeps Torah the one who keeps uh, Torah and, and talking about what that refers to uh, is important, but it's obvious that on the Hebrew Bible level, it already is pushing it that direction. So too then probably with the first verse, right? Uh, yeah. On some level. So let's, let's maybe dive into before we get there though, like diving deep into the verse itself. Mm -hmm. It's probably good if you sort of unpack maybe an overview of Proverbs and then move into the immediate context of what we're dealing with in this verse before we go there. What do you think? Yeah, that's a good idea. I think it's always helpful to get that big picture yeah. understanding because uh, these books aren't meant to be read just one line in isolation. 
And the book of Proverbs is really fun. I enjoyed doing work on this in my in my master's uh, my master's work, and which was a lot of fun for me. And so I guess structure wise, book of Proverbs is divided into uh, a few major sections. Chapters one through nine would be the first major section, and then ten through twenty four is the next major section. Now I must say though, if you read with Kenneth Kitchen's perspective, he puts one through twenty four as one large section that he that one through that. nine is <laughs> is the prologue to the body of the work being 10 through 24. Mm. So you could say that he still does see a somewhat of a distinction, but he would view he views chapters one through 24 as one complete cohesive literary unit. And I think that's just fantastic. We love kind of kitchen around here. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have chapters 25 through 29 and lastly 30 through 31. So what's happening in these different sections? Chapters one through nine is the introduction to the whole book. Um, or if you look at Kenneth Kitchen, it's the clear introduction prologue for through chapters 24, but also ends up serving as introduction for the rest. No matter who you read, though, everybody knows. Everybody says one through nine is the introduction. Now, how is it the introduction? What is it trying to say? That's debated. And that's where I did a lot of my work. We'll do a whole other episode on this someday. Yes. Where I basically just unpack what is the introduction doing for the sake of our discussion uh chapter one through nine is really trying to make sure the audience understands the very basic foundational definition of what wisdom is and it's trying to convince the audience to pursue that end of wisdom in spite of temptation so that's what chapters one through nine is doing 10 through 24 is also labeled as proverbs of solomon it has that little introduction there. And it's a series of a collection of sayings um, all throughout it. And depending on who you talk to, some would say these one-liners have no no connection to the ones around them. But I, I'm going to recommend a resource people might enjoy looking at. This is a commentary in the Apollos Old Testament commentary series by Paul Overland. This is a relatively new commentary. He did his dissertation PhD work in Egyptian and Coptic studies. And so he, he did a lot of work with Egyptian, which is really important for the comparative literature of wisdom literature in the Bible. And he sees a progression of thought throughout the whole book of Proverbs and that there's actually uh, collections that are all coherent And the reason he takes that point is he spent a lot of time reading Egyptian wisdom literature. And these aren't just one-liners in Egyptian wisdom literature. They're actual paragraphs that flow in content. Um, 25 through 29 is a little bit different because it gets a different heading. And this it talks about how there are additional Proverbs of Solomon that are collected by a team of uh, that works for a King Hezekiah. And that's how it kind of sets this this, uh, section apart. And then 30 through 31 is unique because we actually get some foreign leadership voices speaking along with the famous end uh, that talks about, you know, it depends who you talk to, right? It's debated something, you know, it's the, this is the ideal woman you should look for as a spouse, or is this talking about wisdom once again? For the sake of our discussion though, what's most important is the, the, that's kind of the big picture of Proverbs. Um, but this, the, the, the somewhat smaller section that's relevant is chapters 25 through 29. And that's actually not really debated because 25 begins with a new subheading and then 30 has a clear shift. So I recommend anyone who wants to read the context, just read chapters 25 through 29. 
And I'm going to just read a couple thoughts by Paul Overland, what he has to say about this section. He's, he calls this division three, okay? Division one being one through nine, division two, 10 through 24. And he basically says that this section is advice for the journeyman sage serving the royal court. Mm. And he says, Division 3 consists of um, Solomon, um, Solomonic material edited by King Hezekiah's staff. And one of the things he says is, regarding content, Division 3 serves kings and courtiers. And then he breaks down Division 3 into a series of lectures. And basically what he says is that both kings and courtiers are envisioned in this picture. Because ultimately, it's he thinks that this is this is the section that refers to the sage who has reached the highest level of success in that becoming a part of the royal court. But interestingly, it's not only targeted at the sage, but the king himself, mm. because all are supposed to embody the path and the life of wisdom. It's good. So uh, those are some thoughts from Paul Overland. Well, that, you know, that's interesting, too, because the king can often uh, sort of be the one representing the people, you know, in, in a sense. So if the king's not walking in wisdom, then there might be a lot of people not walking in wisdom, essentially, right? Uh, it sort of has that uh, piece. One question for you. How do we define wisdom in Proverbs? That's a great question. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've gotten a lot of interesting uh, responses to this in the last few years of the yes, courses that you teach. Yeah on wisdom in the ancient world. I would say that in the book of Proverbs, the according to Proverbs itself, which we get primarily from chapters one through nine, I think the definition that it lays out is twofold. Um, to give you the Hebrew and then translation of it, it defines wisdom as two things. One is yirat Adonai, which is fear of Yahweh. And the second thing is tzedek mishpat umesharim, hmm. which is roughly translated righteousness, justice, and fairness. That ultimately, that is the twofold definition of wisdom. And then you can start unpacking those terms and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Chapter three in Proverbs, I think, gives us um, Proverbs' own words and own ways of kind of unpacking that terminology. The beginning of chapter three kind of unpacks Yirat Adonai, fear of Yahweh, a little bit. And the end of chapter three unpacks the Tzedek Mishpatu Mesharim, righteousness, justice, and fairness, unpacks that a little bit. Hmm. So in really overly simplistic terms, um, if you want to get, uh, you know, as we move toward New Testament time, I think this is another way of saying wisdom is about loving God and loving other people. It's mm -hmm. about having right orientation toward the Lord and then living in a way that's pleasing unto him. And so in that way, Proverbs, we start to see is saying, I think, much of the same message as mm. other portions of the Hebrew Bible, but it's doing it in a different way. It's a little bit different stylistically, and it's coming from uh, a different, um, it's a very different communication style, you know, yeah. different kind of rhetoric, but it's getting yeah. the same end destination point. At the end of chapter nine, which is the finale of the introduction, interestingly, wisdom personified makes the biggest, boldest um, invitation yet, mm. okay? Because she speaks multiple times. And here she invites the audience to come to her house that is built on the highest point of the city. And meanwhile, Woman Folly, her counterpart, is also inviting the audience to her house on the highest part of the city. And 
in the ancient Near East, what buildings do you put on the highest point of the city? You put a house that is a temple. You put it up there for the gods, don't you? <laughs> yep. And so the the picture almost is that this isn't some some try to make proverbs a secular, and I just think that's just there's a it's just a misreading to the whole book. Um, clearly, the invitation ultimately is wisdom is trying to lead you to sure. the temple of Yahweh, yeah, and her sure. counterparts trying to lead you to any other temple. Yeah. So faithful covenant faithfulness is a core part of what Proverbs is trying to do. It yeah. just doesn't communicate it in a way that is overly apparently similar to other books. But the closer you read, you'll actually be surprised at how much similarity there is. That's well, I, I really like it because, I mean, obviously going even to the New Testament, like you said, love God, love people on a, on a sort of very macro perlocutionary level. You have, uh, you have Deuteronomy, right? 6.4, love the Lord your God with our, uh, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then of course, Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So basically we have first century uh, second temple Judaism, uh, also being founded upon right there with those two two laws right there all the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments you have iron age religion right here in proverbs uh all being founded on that old bronze age religion of mm -hmm. deuteronomy 6 5 and leviticus 1918 i mean it's just it's brilliant right i mean it, it makes good sense uh, that that is there, and I like what you're saying with the with the temples and the houses on the hills. I mean, obviously, I mean, there's no there's, there is no separation between secular and religious in the ancient world, right? I mean, they see this all as very much intertwined in a sense, um, and so it would only make it would only make good sense that Proverbs would be wanting to invoke the imagery of of worshiping uh, at Yahweh's temple as opposed to worshiping at the temples of foreign gods. I mean, that makes, it just makes good sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, good. I really like that. Okay. So lead us onwards. Okay. Let's do one more thought. That's a little bit big picture focusing on chapters 25 through 29. Yeah. Because if we look at Proverbs 25 at the very beginning, just to show everyone uh, what's going on here, what we see is these also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. Mm. That is the beginning of this section. And I'm going to read a few more verses that will also kind of show you why Paul Overland um, notes uh, a bit of a progression of thought and a big shift that happens in this division of Proverbs, where he talks about it's a little bit more focused on the courtier sage and the king. The first word is, it is the glory of God to conceal things with the glory of kings to search things out. Mm. The very first one of this section has to do with kings. Um, as the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Yeah. Um, so he goes on, there's quite a lot of info about how to act as someone in the court of a king. Now, the main thing I want to point out, though, for Proverbs 29, 18 is if you think about Hezekiah, think about him in a vision, as we do the rest of this teaching, I think this will be pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, but in order to do that well, let's just dive right into the main controversy for this episode, which is what is this word for vision? What's going yeah. on here? So let's read this verse in Hebrew. Be'en chazon yipara am v'shomer Torah ashrehu. And ESV does this as where there's no prophetic vision, 
the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law, that being the word Torah there. So the word chazon is a noun, and it is related to a Hebrew word chaza, a verb which means to see. Um, That's also a common root in other Semitic languages, like in Aramaic. Aramaic is the more normal word for to see, um, where Hebrew we get more ra'a. And the short version is this, is that chaza, or sorry, chazon, the noun, is used to mean vision. Or as Dictionary of Classical Hebrew does, a vision, revelatory word, and inspired saying, if you go and you search through all 35 times where this noun appears, all the instances are clearly referring to prophetic contexts. Mm. So that's why you will see many translations will say where there's no prophetic vision that people cast off restraint. You're not going to read in the Hebrew Bible and see a business meeting of merchants deciding a new strategy for selling you know, more, more wine. Like that's not the context. It's, it, it often is referring to the night visions that prophets would often have, or someone who's trying to interpret, um, you know, some sort of dream. Uh, it's context like that. It's always about prophets. Mm. Uh, just one simple example to show you would be uh, the beginning of Isaiah. The beginning of the book Isaiah uh, is with this word. Azon is the first word of the book of Isaiah. Azon Yeshayahu, venamot asher chaza al Yehuda. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw. It's worth noting that chaza is not the normal. It's not the more, it's a, it's a less standard word for to see in, in Hebrew. Mm. And so it's more, you could say, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he visioned, if you will. So that's just one example of that. So... Um, before I turn it to you, basically, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen is not about making personal vision statements. Now, I want to be clear: I'm not against that. I, I think it's I think it's a very helpful thing for teams and businesses and individuals to do. What's our goal? What are we trying to achieve? And in fact, this podcast is a good example of this. You know, uh, for any of you who like listening to the really old OG episodes I did by myself when this podcast was just a hobby, right? Like. There are times where I'm figuring out what's the exact lane I'm trying to get in. But what I knew from the beginning is I want this to be a Hebrew Bible specific podcast. It's making sense of that. And then when Dr. French joined the team, it was a perfect time to kind of reevaluate a little bit and get a little more chiseled. Like, okay, what exactly within this are we doing? And mm. our goal is to make sense of it in its ancient Near Eastern context. Mm. That's our goal. That's what we want to do. Looking at comparing it to the other ancient texts and uh, that worldview and perspective. Yeah. But Proverbs 29, 18, that's not what it's getting at. You have any thoughts? Yeah, no, it's very good because what it, what it, what it really does is do, um, I mean, what this, what this text I think really does right here in Proverbs is, is uplift the prophetic tradition within the Hebrew Bible and within the ancient Israelites, um, consciousness, I guess, if you will, or the ancient Israelite, a uh, community knowing that, the prophetic vision, the chazon, is is very central to all that is the, the 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 narrative of. We've talked here many times already, talking about Abraham himself being first called a prophet, seeing the same with Jacob. Obviously, he he is having visions of God. He's having dreams, and it ends with the seed of Abraham and uh, with Joseph in Egypt. 
and uh, the whole family ends up in Egypt. And in fact, all the families of the earth are blessed because they end up in Egypt, right? Because Joseph is able to save the world from the famine. Um, but it's all through this sort of visionary experience that they are having either in dreams or in other ways. Uh, so that prophetic tradition is just deeply seated in the ancient Israelite narrative and thought process. And of course, that leads right into what happens in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and uh, of course, then Deuteronomy solidifying it before they go in to take the land. Um, and before that, and, and just, just as they're doing that, Joshua also has a vision, right, of the of the commander of the armies of the Lord, uh, of Yahweh being there with him. Uh, uh, you know, he has that vision to show us that he also is within that tradition. So the point being that this, uh, to see Be'en Chazon, to see that right here in the Proverbs, that should, I think, invoke that sort of, of thought process uh, when it comes to the whole of the Israelite tradition. Yeah, that's such a good point because prophets don't just come out of nowhere during the monarchy. Exactly, right. And I think it's easy to think that that's what's happening if you're not paying attention or reading the text closely enough. It's just easy to think that prophets serve one purpose, and that is uh, their purpose is to come forth and to give moral critique of the monarchy and what the monarchy is doing wrong. Now, that's a big part of what the prophets do. Certainly uh, a good swath of the text that we have, there is serious critique upon ancient Israel, especially upon the leadership, debating the leadership when it comes to whether or not they're following uh, Yahweh's covenant, whether or not they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and following um, uh, Yahweh's uh, law and his teachings and, and what he commands of, of, of Israel. But, but the truth is it's a small part of it. <laughs> I mean, when you look yeah. at the bigger picture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to narrow, to pigeonhole the prophets into only one aspect of their communication does a great disservice to them and the whole tradition. Yeah. Because when you track what's going on, like Joshua is another good example that you brought up, Abraham, Jacob, you know, these are people who are seeing God or in some sort of way, or yeah. God is causing them to see situations the way that he does, past, present, or future. We also talk about the idea that the many of the historical books were written by prophets. Yeah. And so these are people who are writing about Israel's history yeah. from the prophetic perspective. Yeah. Um, Which is why we yeah. call it the former prophets, right? In, in the yeah. Hebrew canon. So it makes good sense as to why uh, the Jewish tradition went that direction with calling it the former prophets to begin with. So I think this begs a question though, which mm -hmm. is why would a Hebrew sage talk about yeah. Yeah. prophetic vision mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because i think that would be a you know one could say wait that feels unexpected why you know let's let's have these really neat category divisions priests you're over here doing priest things and prophets you're doing prophet things sages sage things kings kings things and everyone stay in your corner right <laughs> yes exactly well and, and interestingly i might I might just go right back to Joseph again as sort of a beginning standard here. And let's see, mm. we, we weren't really planning this, but we could see where it goes. Sure. Because with Joseph, you do have uh, sort of his ability to interpret dreams, 
as sort of a wise sage. It has a prophetic feel to it, very much so. Yeah. Uh, and it goes against the wise sages of Egypt who can't seem to do this. Nobody can give a, a, a good explanation for Pharaoh, but Joseph can. And it it certainly invokes the prophetic um, um, uh, tradition of ancient Israel and, and, and sort of blends it with the wisdom tradition that we have, I think, within the Joseph narrative. Because there, there clearly is sort of a wisdom thing going on in the Joseph narrative. Well, um, how about we do, the, how about yeah, we do this then? It. Let me show you his counterpart in a way, Daniel. Oh, yeah. Oh, very nice. Yes, Daniel's a great one, too, obviously. So, good. Which, you know, very similar, these people serving in foreign foreign courts and interpreting dreams. And the reason I bring up Daniel, we'll go back to Joseph because I think he's really important. But I just think the language that's used in Daniel one seventeen, for example, is really interesting. Mm. First up of the verse, ESV does that as, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill yeah. in all literature and wisdom. Nice. Okay, then we continue. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Yeah, very good. In fact, the book of Daniel has the word chazon appears all over the place, and, and which is not totally surprising. But Daniel is described in very wisdom terms. And to your point, like Joseph, uh, Joseph is very much the same way. So anyway, keep going with this, this Joseph. No, that's, I, I'm actually happy you brought that up because what it, what it really then shows, because, you know, here we are in Egypt and Pharaoh's the one who's asking for an explanation for the chalomot, right? For the dreams that he's had. He oh. wants the explanation and it takes Joseph to come forth and give that explanation shows that he is a wise sage but is also indicating the prophetic element in which he has insight from Yahweh's counsel right we've talked about this with the prophets being on the divine counsel and so we have in that particular sense both Daniel and Joseph representing uh Yahweh's counsel on the earth and giving forth the decrees of the council and that's what you get um within the Joseph narrative uh, and in Daniel's case as well. And we'll see with Daniel that it really does have importance, not just for the present situation that Israel finds itself in, but for the future situation that Israel will find itself in. I mean, that's the whole point of that book. There's so much uh, in later tradition in Second Temple Judaism, and of course, the New Testament, it's looking back to Daniel and finding uh, perlocutionary meaning, right? The meaning, the deep meaning of, of what is there in the text on a, a locutionary and illocutionary level, but then how it then fits within the New Testament piece. Um, but you have that as well uh, with the Joseph narrative too, right? I mean, it is uh, through Joseph that Yahweh is going to save the world. And he does it by allowing Joseph to tell Pharaoh what's coming in the near future. And that is enough to move them to prepare. And sure enough, then by the end of Genesis, uh, Genesis 12 is already finding fulfillment that Abraham's descendants are being a blessing to all nations, right? They're bringing it to all the families of the earth uh, in that sense. And so this prophetic... Um, this this prophetic what, what would we call it this uh 
this bifurcation maybe between bifurcation between hmm. uh between what is a wisdom sage and what is a prophet at least in ancient israel sort of is blended many times yep. in the many yes so yeah I totally agree we've talked more so i think about the the priest king dynamic in previous sure. episodes which that yeah. where that's another one of those it, is it a total bifurcation or wait a second why do we have an ancient sumer you know these first city states having right priest king and then of course it's showing up in israel uh whether that's the way that king david or king solomon sometimes act or behave mm -hmm. um and that why is that envisioned in zechariah uh we had an episode about that as well and so the same thing's happening with the sage yeah. this idea that okay sages and prophets they're always you know in their separate camps so well, wait there are figures that and they they, they live in both yeah. both functions both yeah. type of roles and at times it hits on obviously with the prophetic side tends to lean don't you think more obviously towards and, and of course we had uh professor lena sophia tmi on here to talk about this communication from the divine realm to the earthly mm -hmm. realm right so you have that sort of thing mm -hmm. first and yes. foremost it seems within the prophetic tradition uh but then the sage realm is how then shall we live in light of yeah in light of what's going on and that's that's where we hit with proverbs here too yeah that's a good way of putting it um because it's a different kind of sync maybe maybe to give a little example of this we can go to the end of proverbs 24 um which again reminder proverbs 24 that's the end of the second section of proverbs or again if you go kind of kitchen mode it's just one mega section proverbs 1 through 24. Either way, it's the important. The, it's the end of a section, and what's really interesting about it is uh, most of the most of the units within Proverbs ten through twenty nine. Even if there's a progression of thought, it's generally only a line. You know, like a couple lines or a few, whatever. Like, and then it's on to not a totally different thought, but where it's it's a clearly different thing. Yeah. The end of Proverbs 24, it ends with like a whole paragraph. And I think that this is an example of Proverbs giving kind of a behind the scenes of how mm. Proverbs are made. Mm. Okay. I think Paul Overland words it as proverb, proverb crafting. I like that. <laughs> and so check this out. Um, it's actually really beautiful Hebrew too. I'll read Hebrew and give the ESV translation here. Sure. I'll stay ish atzel avarti. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. <laughs> so we already have this narrative feel to mm. this section, as opposed to just telling me something that right. some inside I need. Then 31. Allah kulo him shonim kasu fanav parulim avanav. Neherasa. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. And then verse 32. Then I saw. Interestingly, this word for saw, by the way, is not ra'a, it's chaza here. The verb of this that we've been talking about. Now it should be noted that chaza as a verb um, is not limited only to a prophetic vision. Mm. Um, so it can just be to see, perceive, gaze. Like you'll see it in a number of contexts of people looking 
Uh, so we don't want to overread prophetic stuff into this right. line, but right. it is still interesting that that's the word choice. Um, so then I, I saw and considered it. I mm. looked and received instruction. That's a lot of verbs about the, this, <laughs> this sage is taking it all in. Mm. He is seeing something, but then he's really pondering mm. and looking at like, what's really going on here. And then what do we have? Verse 33 gives us what we expect most of the Proverbs to be. Ma'at shenot, ma'at tnumot, ma'at chibuk yadaim lishkav. Uva mit halech reshecha, umach sorecha ki'ish magen. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. I know every time I lay down to take a nap with my son, that just proverb just hits my head. <laughs> <every time. laughs> like, no, I need to be doing more. Get behind me, Satan. I'm taking a nap. So <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so it's interesting here is verses 33 and 34. That's what we expect most of the proverbs just to be. But the previous three, 30 through 32, give us like a behind the scenes of how do these sages come up with these? What are they doing? This is an example. This guy, he's living life. He's walking down a field and he sees the field of a sluggard person, a vineyard of someone not making any sense. And he basically, he sees, he sees a field that's in chaos. And he's like, why? Why mm -hmm. is it this way? So what we notice again is there's nothing in the story that says, and the Lord spoke to me saying. Yeah. Okay. So again, there's a difference between like a sage, like a pure sage versus a pure prophet. Yeah. But here's the key. You got to remember Proverbs 1 through 9 is what's the beginning of wisdom. It's the fear of mm -hmm. Yahweh. Mm -hmm. And it's a care for the things of righteousness, justice, and fairness. And, um, and so I think that realizing that the sage is living within the mode of having their whole life oriented around Yahweh, but it doesn't mean all their wisdom is coming directly from him, but it's coming from a foundation of a commitment to the covenant, to Torah, to the ways of the Lord. Um, and through their observations of the world, they, um, they make their wise sayings. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's so good. So what do we do then here when we get to Proverbs 29, we have it in 18 and this, this one verse, um, yeah. So how would you describe this first part of the verse then? What, what is Proverbs really wanting to say to us? Well, I think, um, I think a good example would be this. I would remind everyone, this section is with Hezekiah. And Hezekiah's dad, famously, he's the king uh, who was ruling during the, the Aram and Ephraimite, the, the Syri Syrian Ephraimite or the Aram-Israel uh, unification against Judah. And in chapter seven, when Isaiah brings his first kind of vision to King Ahaz about mm. putting your trust in the Lord. And Ahaz famously, he doesn't really take this seriously. Now God performs his signs and his miracles anyway for the people, but there is a hint uh, in chapter eight that, that uh, Assyria still went into the country of Judah, uh, but Jerusalem was not taken. Mm. And that there's a verse in chapter eight that describes this idea that because you trusted in the rivers and that, that flooded, which earlier was describing Assyria, like a mm -hmm. torrent and not in the gentle stream of Shiloh, 
Mm. The, the waters will come up to your neck. Wow. But they want to overtake you. And so it, it seems that Isaiah is kind of saying that, look, God, God's going to do what he's going to do anyway, regardless of King Ahaz, that you're not actually putting your hope and trust in him. But because you have put your trust in the tool of Yahweh, of Assyria, and not ultimately in the source of who you trust in the Lord, these waters are going to rise up to your neck. In other words, you know, Assyria is going to come and they're going to ravage quite a bit of Judah, wow. but still they won't get Jerusalem. Yeah. And then once you get to Hezekiah's actual lifetime, um, Hezekiah famously, he takes more seriously the, the words of Isaiah. He seeks mm. the Lord in prayer, not saying he's a perfect king, but prophetic vision played a really important role in Hezekiah's life. Yeah, it's Whether growing up with Ahaz's dad or he himself. So I'm not surprised that this one will make it in here. Ultimately, you can read a lot of stories of the Hebrew Bible where you see kings who take it seriously to listen to the prophets of Yahweh or those who decide to listen to false prophets mm -hmm. or those who uh, make up things like in the book of Ezekiel. And at the end of the day, here's what I'll say. I know this is probably too long of an answer here. The second half of this verse really matters. But blessed is he who keeps the Torah. Mm. So again, it's this is so straightforward, the Torah. We got to keep ourselves oriented around the ways of the Lord as revealed through the Torah and as revealed through the prophets. Mm. The book of Daniel talks about the Torah of Moses and the Torah of the prophets. Um, everything as a society must be oriented around the ways of the Lord. Um, and in Israel's history, some of that is looking back to things that have been said and, and done and written in the past. Mm. And some of that is what God says in specific moments of history. Mm whether that's the Torah of Moses that is readily available to the kings to reference, or that's also to words that God gives to the prophets. And um, the true king is the one who's going to honor and abide by and live by and rule by the ways of God as he reveals himself through the variety of means, whether that's through um, prophets, through the Torah, whatever that is. Yeah. And that's ultimately what is at stake here. So if I were to dip my toe into the perlocutionary level of this, yeah. what's this verse really getting at is, is are we living our lives completely oriented around the ways of the Lord? Um, this isn't about us just making all of our own plans all the time. I'm just going to do whatever I want. It's when I make plans. Um, if there's someone in the audience, for example, who feels that like God has actually spoken to them and given them a dream in their heart or something for them to do, take that seriously. Um, if you haven't had that experience before, and a lot of people don't, right? Again, what's the what what is the guidance that we get from scripture? How does scripture teach us to walk out our lives? And how about the people who teach and exegete scripture? How do we live in that and the wisdom that comes from the ways of God through the variety of means? Uh, and it, again, there's nothing wrong with making a vision statement for our lives or our business. And there'll be many times in life where we probably don't feel like you have an inkling from God, whether in whether like some direct word for you or even from scripture itself. But in all of our decisions, are we trying to honor God? Is fear of the Lord and treating other people right? Is that our foremost goal? That's what Proverbs 29, 18, I think on the perlocutionary level is trying to get to when we think about today. Amen. Good preaching. I like that. Very nice. So you you've really unpacked that well, and I like how what 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 Proverbs eight uh, twenty nine eighteen is really doing is showing how this chazon is connected to, in a sense, 
keeping Torah, right? And living the blessed, happy life with uh, uh here at the end. And uh, I think that's that's so significant to what we have all throughout the ancient Israelite narrative uh, when it comes to um, keeping Torah and following the vision uh, that is set forth by the prophet. So instead of having, like you said, which isn't a bad thing in any case, but still it's not suggesting that we sit down and write out a vision statement. Rather, it's suggesting that we follow the Hebrew prophets, that we follow prophetic vision. Uh, and in so doing, it leads us to continue to keep Torah and to find blessedness and happiness in that sense, correct? Totally. So on a full-on perlocutionary level, then, if we go into Second Temple Judaism, especially within the New Testament, um, it's interesting that Peter stands up and says, uh, quoting the prophet Joel, when, the, when, the, when we have during Pentecost the pouring out of the Spirit, um, that, um, that dreams and visions will be part of that pouring out of the spirit. That's because the indication is that all of the people are going to now receive the spirit that is upon the Hebrew prophets, right? So mm -hmm. that, that seems to be the indication of what's happening in Acts chapter two. Even the speaking gift with tongues happening is to take us to the prophetic tradition to show us that what was happening with the Hebrew prophets is now happening on all of those in Israel who have believed, right? Who have received yep. uh, the Holy Spirit in that sense. So you have that perlocutionary level thing happening there as well. And so without that, without that sort of encounter uh, with the Holy One, right? With that, without that sort of encounter uh, with God himself, that vision is lacking for the church. We must have it. But when it is lacking... Um, and I, I don't know if, if it is lacking, if you can, let me ask you this. Can you keep the second half of the verse if it is lacking? <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> if, interesting. If, I mean, you, you have previous prophetic chazon, right? You have, you have previous chazon, you have previous vision, but, uh, is it possible, uh, to keep the previous without any chazon? Well, obviously not, because you, you don't even have Torah without chazon on one in one sense. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that gets to the idea of progressive revelation and, mm -hmm. you know, Daniel, there's even a verse, I forget where, where he mentions the, the importance of the, of the Torah of Moses and the Torah of the prophets. Of the prophets. Yeah. So in Daniel chapter nine, verse 10, there's an interesting uh, phrasing that I don't think we would necessarily expect to read exactly like this, which is Daniel and his prayer of repentance saying, and and saying that also Israel has not and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, and Hebrew literally in his Torahs, mm -hmm. which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Mm. I think we're used to seeing the word Torah, you know, and the you know, the the laws of the Lord just with with Moses. But again, we get to that too. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. Wow. Exactly. And so, so yeah, I think that the idea of vision and Torah, they, they go hand in hand and you see Ezekiel seven twenty six, Lamentations 2, 9 are just a couple of interesting examples. Again, where we have the idea of the importance of Chazon and Torah uh, but if you if you don't do a search just for Chazon and Torah, you'll see prophets and Torah, they go hand in hand. And 
So as God revealed himself to Abraham, to Jacob, yeah. to Joseph, to yeah. Moses, yeah. to the prophets, you continue to stay on the train, you yeah. know? And at any point, you can say, I'm out. But you got to stay on as God continues to reveal himself. Yeah, and the chazon is very important, too. I'm thinking, you know, coming to the Gospel of John, too, I, I have to go there just because you have yeah. that that final story with uh, Nathaniel, with uh, Nathaniel, right? Mm -hmm. Where um, it is said, Jesus says, now here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And, of course, you're already thinking, oh, so this is like the opposite of Jacob, right? <laughs> it's what you yeah. have here. Yeah. And of course, then that illusion comes where Nathaniel is told by Jesus that he will see the angel, you know, the uh, angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man, right? So mm -hmm. instead of the ziggurat in Jacob's vision going to the heavens, Nathaniel gets a vision of the son of man himself as being as being that temple, that, mm -hmm. that ziggurat going into the heavens, Jesus himself. And, um, but interesting with that, you have the vision, the chazon of the prophet, the prophetic tradition being confirmed uh, in his life and ministry. But then, of course, he's giving his interpretation of Torah, Matthew 5 through 7, yeah. so that you can follow the Torah ultimately. But it's confirmed by vision in that sense. And so sure. too with the church moving forward, so much of uh, what we have in the book of Acts and others is confirmed by vision and the prophetic tradition. But it is so in order to keep like what you said in the beginning here with wisdom, uh, loving God and loving people in that sense. Yeah, that's really good. And you know, what also comes to my mind is uh, Hebrews 1. As another example of this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in the, these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So look, all that to say, uh, Proverbs 29, 18 is not just a good time to say, hey, here's a popular <laughs> verse people like to use a lot. Let's let's make sure we get back to at least understanding what's kind of its original context understanding. Sure. It's not just that. This is a place where one of the important themes of the Hebrew Bible is showing up. Yeah. And here it is in Proverbs. Mm -hmm. Might be an unexpected place to some. But as we've kind of shown, no, there's a lot of overlap between, you know, sage, prophet, priest, yeah. king, um, and what's and, going on. And I think what it really does, what Proverbs 29, 18 does, as far as a vision, as, I'm sorry, as far as a sort of wisdom statement for us today, for uh, communities of faith, um, it, it, it really grounds us and it keeps us in the vision of Yahweh. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the vision of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and in... Uh, and in his teaching and in his ways, right? So that when we talk about building for the kingdom of God or these sorts of things, it's important that we come back to what is the what is the chazon? I mean, what is the chazon of the kingdom of God? Um, and do we know that rightly, truly, and absolutely so that we can be truly building uh, in a way that is um, in keeping his Torah, his teaching, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So good. Very so good. good. Well, um, any last thoughts we have on this topic today? We didn't get through nearly all uh, all that, you know, we could have gone through, but that's how all of our episodes go. You know, there's just too many interesting connections. It's so yeah. much fun. Do you have any no. last thoughts? Well, no, I, I think too uh, that that it's just important that we realize how interconnected, and I think we've done a good job of doing that, of how interconnected we we are with 
sort of these different schools within ancient Israel regarding prophetic school, priestly school, uh, and the sage class as well, right? Those who are a part of the wisdom class that though there are sort of separate distinctions between them, there's mm -hmm. often an overlap and a blending that happens all across the board. And I, and I think we, we've, we've seen that here just a bit. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point because whether or not the sage the sages um, behind Proverbs 29.18 stepped into the role of prophet or not, they recognize that a counsel for a king is incomplete without mm. the voice of a prophet of Yahweh. Mm. Yeah. And I think the Deuteronomist history uh, would very much confirm that. Sure. And I think the book of Kings shows that a lot. Sure. And so the sages would say, hey, yes, we're here, but where's the one who is going to speak the word of, of Yahweh in this situation. Yeah. And that's where we have stories again, like Joseph and Daniel that are great examples of this. Mm -hmm. Kings like who can interpret the stream? Who can help? <laughs> what is God trying to communicate? And mm -hmm. here they come here. They show up. Yeah. Okay. How about uh, you? Well, any last thoughts? Um, I think I would uh, just on a practical note, I would just encourage people that, that, um, as we think through our own plans, it's just, hey, if God has spoken about something in our life, that's the ultimate kind of clarity that we can get. Um, but the temptation, if you have heard from God, I think is to give up on it, to think there's no hope for it. And I would just encourage any one of our listeners here, if you, if God has ever spoken to you or through someone else to you, and you know that, hey, that's a word from God, that's something I need to do, I would highly encourage you to, uh, to stick with it and mm -hmm. to keep going at what you need to do. For example, this podcast, there was a kind of point where it was very much a hobby for me and I didn't know like, okay, what do I need to really stick with this or not? And I really felt God impressed in my heart. Uh, I didn't like see a vision, but I really felt God impressed in my heart, this podcast, uh, as well as something else very personal to me um, that's unrelated. And the next morning, uh, one of our podcast guests reached out to me. It was the first time that I had a scholar reaching out to me to be <laughs> on the podcast. And I'm like, that's not normally how these things go since we've had so many great scholars on, but that sure. was a wonderful encouragement to me. Yeah. And it's regardless of what season of life is going on, I'm going to make sure that, uh, that this is a priority. And even though we're both busy with families and work, this is something that matters. So I'd encourage other people to, to do the same. Uh, but the last thing I would say is I, I think that some people um, get discouraged about communication with God and how that might look personally. Mm. And all I would encourage that type of person to is to whatever, however we are able, how can we live with our whole life oriented around the Lord? Yeah. That he is King. Yeah. And with what I've been given, if there's no direct word from God, how can I make decisions based on wisdom? Because mm. I think that's kind of the next step, right? If mm. you don't feel God's told you something exactly what to do, well, how about wisdom? And again, that's why this, this is important. Yeah. So, it's good. If you, you know, if you can't figure out a career and maybe God hasn't said, Hey, you should go try this. Okay. Well, what are your gifts? What are your strengths? What do you enjoy? What problems in the world bother you? How can you make the world a better place? How can you do your part in bringing God's kingdom to earth in that sense? Mm -hmm. And that's also embodying the wisdom of fearing the Lord and trying to create more of a scenario of righteousness, justice, and fairness. It's good. 
So anyway, that was pretty practical. Uh, <laughs> this podcast. Well, it's Proverbs. Yeah. We need to be practical, don't we, on some level you know. here. So. so those who just want the history, you can ignore what I just said and come to our next episode. But <laughs> maybe we can't resist you know, trying to some, sometimes speak into the practical life. Um, well, that was fun today. Uh, and uh, as a reminder, you can find all of our content on YouTube, podcast platforms. We'll post sometimes on social media. And we join uh people in our hero bible book club every month really exciting times doing deep bible studies and you can join us there on patreon link in the description below thank you all for listening to today's episode and we'll see you in the next one